The text that calls for our meditation this evening is that reading we just heard, that prayer or song of Hannah's after she has had her first baby, the prophet Samuel. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We sing it in the Te Deum Laudamus, which is that longer song we sing in the service of Matins. Near the end, we speak these words. We believe that you will come to be our judge. As a kid, I remember singing that with a little trepidation. I thought being brought before the judge was something only those who had done bad and were in trouble should experience. It sort of seemed to me like it was the adult equivalent of going to the principal's office. Sometimes, I suppose, we still tremble a little when we hear this talk all over the Bible about God coming as our judge. Now, to be clear, if we are walking in sin apart from Christ, well, indeed, that should make us tremble, the thought of God coming to judge. But if we are abiding in him, trusting in his mercy, well, then we need not fear his coming as judge. You see, the good news of this Advent season is this. Because Jesus came in Bethlehem, his people do not need to fear his coming on the last day. So long as we abide with him in faith and in hope, his coming as judge is nothing but good news for us. He comes to bring us, his people, every good and silence our enemies. You see, a judge's real purpose is to set all things right. He's there to hear the case that has been brought by those who say they have been wronged, then to make things right. He's there to give justice. And that is what we mean when we say that God will come and be our judge. We believe that we are saying that things we see in this world now that seem out of place, that seems like they are not just, that seem not right to us, well, in the end, God will set those things right. Our reading for tonight is what is often called Hannah's song or Hannah's prayer. Now, Hannah was a woman who feared God and loved him deeply, who poured out her heart to God in prayer consistently and constantly. And yet to her, too, things did not seem right. You see, her greatest desire was that she would have a child with her husband. And yet, that had not been granted to her. And it wasn't just that she didn't have the child that she wanted. It was that her husband's other wife, well, she had lots of children, and she took every chance she could get to mention it. She rubbed it in to Hannah every chance she would get. In fact, we're told in 1 Samuel 1 that it was so bad that Hannah would often be left in tears, despairing so greatly that she didn't even want to eat. Oh, her husband tried to cheer her up, tried to tell her that he would be as good to her as ten sons would be, but she was still crying, not wanting to eat 
You see, she wanted this to be set right. She wanted to have this child. She didn't want to hear anymore that she was a disgrace because she had not brought forth a child. She wanted her bitter rival in that other wife to be silenced. It seemed wrong to her that that bitter and harsh woman had child after child, while she who earnestly sought the Lord could not even have one child. She remained barren. Right before our reading, we are told that Hannah went on one particular night into the tabernacle that was now placed at Shiloh. And after she was praying there for a while, kind of madly praying, so much so that the priest wondered if a drunk woman had stumbled into the temple, we're told that Eli had a conversation with her. And that Eli's conversation, after accusing her of being drunk, was changed. For Hannah said, no, I'm just here. I'm anxious and worried because of this trouble. This thing that I once set right is never set right. And Eli then told her to return home. He said to her, go in peace, and the God of Israel will, or excuse me, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And you know what? God did just that. He heard her prayer, and he opened her womb. God, her judge, came, and he made all things right. He gave Hannah a child named Samuel, and so vindicated her in front of other people. No longer could the others suggest that perhaps she had done something wrong. Perhaps God was mad at her. Perhaps she just didn't have God's favor. No, they could no longer use her barrenness as a tool to pester her. And no longer would that rival wife of hers have free course to jest and jeer at her all the time. That child, Samuel, was born And Hannah did just as she had promised that she would do in her prayer. She brought him in order to serve in the tabernacle all of his days. For that is what she had promised to do. And after dropping him off, so to speak, there, that's when she prayed this prayer we read tonight. Yes, in that prayer that she cried out on that day, she warned the wicked and comforted the righteous. She told anyone that would listen that indeed this act of God coming as her judge should not be considered some isolated experience that it would only happen to her. No, this was God's normal way. His way that he always accomplished in the end. A way that God's people could count on. He would come as judge. And he would put down those who in arrogance had opposed him and his people. He would come as a judge, and he would raise up those who in humility clung to him and asked him for justice. No, he wasn't just the vindicating judge of Hannah alone, but he was the judge of all who would trust in him. He is our judge, and that means that we can walk with confidence in him. We can cry out to him when it seems to us that things are not just. When it seems to us that the righteous ones are struggling and the wicked are thriving. 
We can look to him when the world mocks us for trying to continue to hold fast to God and his world. word. We can trust that his coming in Bethlehem and his dying upon Calvary's holy hill means that indeed everything will be set right in the end. For we at times do know Hannah's grief. It feels like us at times too that those who do not care about the Lord or his ways seem sometimes to have it a lot easier in the world. Of course, in some ways, their better lives that we see are just mere illusions. But there are real discrepancies also. You know, Christian kids already in school recognize these kind of things. It seems that those kids already in school who have no regard for the Lord's ways, well, they seem to be regarded as the cool kids. They have the most fun friends. They get the interest, it seems, of the most attractive boys and girls. And the end of this is not with school, is it? We know this feeling as well. Those of us that have gone way beyond school are still disappointed at times in similar ways. For we see the wicked have nicer homes, bigger bank accounts, the favor of the world. Sometimes our families seem to be doing better than our families. People who trust in the Lord gather in his house and order their lives and their families according to this word of God. Well, sometimes they seem to struggle rather than thrive. Now, in some parts of the world, this injustice is far more obvious than it is in our part of the world. You know, in some places, God's people hunger, and they struggle even to survive because of the hatred of the world, all the while watching the wicked run the show and live in relative luxury. Thankfully, we have been shielded in our country for such, from such horror for so long that we almost can't even imagine that kind of life where God's people are so downtrodden and the wicked are doing so well. But it seems to me that things are changing very rapidly. And while I pray not, if you read the signs, it may be soon that those who wish to be faithful to God will really struggle to find a job that they can work in to operate their businesses according to the principles that they wish to operate them according to, to raise up their families with the beliefs of the word of God. Struggles, they may become more common. And the enemies of God, no doubt, will become more aggressive as they gain more power. And if this occurs, I have a feeling that Hannah's prayer will be one we'll get a little more familiar with. It won't be something that we just hear every once in a while and go, yeah, forgot about that. For when we recognize the injustice growing, we will wish to pray this prayer more fervently. But even now, we can still pray this prayer. We can still express our frustration with the injustice of this world. We can cry out to God that he might come and save us that he might come and vindicate us, that he might come and be our judge. And he will, for we know he already has. Christ came. He defeated his enemies, which are our truest enemies as well, through his coming and living, through his suffering and dying, through his rising and ascending. He destroyed that ancient foe once and for all. 
as Hannah said, God gave strength to his son Jesus in order to accomplish this for us all. And soon that same Jesus who conquered at the grave, well, he will return. He will return and set all things right for those of us that place our trust in him. He will silence the mockery cast at God's people once and for all. In this season, we are waiting. Oh yes, we're waiting for Christmas. We're waiting for the last day. But who are we waiting for? We're waiting for a judge. And not just any judge, but our judge. The one who has said he will come and set all things right. And so we sing with Hannah, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Amen.